Do we give up? Do we abandon? Do we run away from it? No, we adapt. That word should be familiar because in the last few sermons, James has been showing us what it means to to be adaptable as believers. Now, I know it's been two weeks since you last heard a sermon in James, and I know you all have listened to the old sermons in preparation for today, right? Because, you know, you want to be ready to go. But if you haven't, this is what James means when he says he wants us to be adaptable. That is to adapt to a world that is not our own. To adapt to a world that does not embrace our faith. How do we adapt to a world that can be hostile to our faith? Adapt to a world that can misrepresent our faith? And to adapt to a world that is always changing. The world never stays the same. It always changes. And as believers, we we are to adapt without compromise. We are to adapt without abandonment. And as we have seen, the the roadblock to us adapting rightly in the world is worldliness. That's a roadblock for us. It's a roadblock because worldliness will will lead you to compromise your faith in the world. Or worldliness will lead you to just abandon the world altogether. So I'm not going to even engage it. It's too broken. I'm just going to have my little Christian huddle, my own Christian community. And the world can just go to hell. What allows us to adapt rightly? It's wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is what allows us to adapt rightly in the world. And when we're living through the wisdom of the world, that produces in us faithfulness to God in the way we live our life. Faithfulness. And there's one other thing that this wisdom from above produces in us. And this is what James tells us. In James, four, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Please pray with me. Father, I'm really nervous today, a lot nervous than I usually am on Sundays. And a lot of it is because I feel inadequate, I feel unprepared, I don't have my tools, but I do have the main tool, and that is the Spirit of God that lives in me. He is what I need every week. He is what I need to to be the husband and the father I need to be. And he's who I need to be the pastor and the preacher you need me to be. I could do nothing apart from Christ. Nothing, Lord. And so, Father, as I pray earlier, Lord, I pray also that you would move aside my pride, my need for recognition, my need for a pat on the back. Move me aside so that you can be glorified, Lord, in what takes place today. 
For you are at the center of everything. Worship is about you. Sermons are about you. You, Lord, equipping your people to be who, they, who you want them to be in the world in which they live. And you know what each person here is going through. You know what they're dealing with. You see it. And I pray that you will give them a word today. That when they leave here, they leave here seeing your face more. When they leave here, they leave here with more confidence and boldness and more hope to go back out to fight one more week, to fight one more day. So, Spirit of God, be in this place. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm sure some of you have heard of the phrase, I got an app for that. And if you have a smartphone like an Android or an iPhone, then you are very familiar with that because my friend here is looking at one right now on his smartphone. So we have apps on our computers and our smartphones to help us go through life, make life a little easier. And when it comes to the Christian life, I got an app for that too. It's an essential app, and it's called Humility. Humility. Like faithfulness, humility is also an an external application of a wisdom that comes from above. Humility of heart. This is what James um, deals with in in verse 6 here. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is going to be different because I'm tapping on the computer here. His words here are actually a quote from Proverbs 3, 34. And there it says, God, towards the scorners, God is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. And if you know the book of Proverbs, it's about wisdom. It's about instruction. It's about understanding. All that comes from above. So it's really appropriate for James to to use Proverbs in this letter as he fleshed out for us what wisdom from above looks like in your life. It looks like something. It means something. The wisdom from above is not compatible with pride. Man's pride. It's not. The word to scorn means to mock, to derail, to be disrespectful, to have contempt. And so when we as believers, if we are operating in pride... We are anti-God, anti-what he stands for. One Christian says, scorners are incapable of discipline, incapable of reproof, incapable of rebuke, and they cannot find wisdom. And the proud here, the proud here is, is not referring to the kind of pride you feel when your kid brings home a good grade or paints a good picture. The pride here is conceitedness. It's you is to be snobby, to be stuck up, to be uppity, to be superior. The kind of pride that thinks you're better than those around you. So we all probably know someone or have someone in our life who could be classified as a, a one up you person. You know, no matter what you say or do, that person has to one up you. And that's what the word, the proud means here. It also means 
when someone always over-exaggerate what they do, over-exaggerate what they got, over-exaggerate what they do on vacation, that's also from a pride. It's thinking too highly of yourself and your stuff and what you have. And the word says the Lord opposes such pride. The translation here doesn't bring out the force of the verb here, but it's he will continue to always oppose such pride. Like he's not going to change his mind on it. He will continue to stand against it. In one of my favorite films, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's, there's this powerful scene when, when Gandalf the, the Grey is standing before the fire demon. And if you've seen that scene in the movie... You know he still stands toe-to-toe with this fire demon. And he says this, you shall not pass. You shall not pass. The verb to oppose means to stand against something. And like Gandalf the Grey, the Lord stands against your pride. He puts his authoritative foot down and says, it shall not pass. It shall not pass. For I oppose it. Always and forever I will oppose such pride. But I give grace to the humble. I give favor to the humble. And what does that mean? Keep in mind that James is talking to believers. He's talking to the church. Those who already have saving faith in Christ. Those who have already given their hearts to him. Those who have already acknowledged their sin before God. Those who have already received and depend upon Jesus and his finished work. That's who he's talking to. For Christ died as a substitute for our sin. And through him you have everlasting life. And all that was made possible because of God's free grace. But James says here, God gives grace to the humble. There seems to be a a condition attached to it. It appears not to be free. But what's going on? What's going on here is that grace given to the humble is not talking about salvation. It's talking about what happens post-salvation. In the Old Testament, grace was used as an expression for favor and acceptance and understanding. This means that God's favor and acceptance does not go with his people's pride, but with their humility. And humility is you having a modest estimate of yourself and your importance. It's thinking less of yourself, thinking about yourself less, thinking about your stuff less. One theologian says, humility comes when people are linked with Christ and are conformed to his image. That's when it comes. And this is done through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In 1 Kings 22, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he came down to meet with Ahab, the king of Israel. And during their meeting, King Ahab uh, talked to Jehoshaphat about going to battle with him against the king of Assyria. Assyria. And so before Jehoshaphat agreed to go to battle, this is what he tells, tell, this is what he told Ahab. Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Think about that. He's a king, right? 
most important person in his kingdom. But what does he tell this other king? Let us inquire first the word of the Lord before we go to battle. This phrase and an example of what it means to be humble before God. Dependency on him and before him. Before any decision is made, before any action is taken, do you say, let me inquire first the word of the Lord on what I should do, on how I should spend my time, on how I should spend my resources, how I should do this. What does God's word say? Because humility of heart, yes, but we all should be humble before God and how we approach him. He gives grace and favor to those who are humble before him. Because there are believers who are not humble before God. They don't live that way. But he demands that we do. Verse 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Verses 7 through 8 shows us what humility before God the Father looks like in your daily life. It shows us that believers are to continue to approach God. How are we to approach God after conversion? Now that you are a believer, how do you approach him? You submit to him. Submit yourselves to God. James' intent here with this phrase, submit yourself, is he's calling for a decisive, a decisive choice and action. That you will no longer waver between two opinions. But at this moment, you will submit yourself to God and how you live your life. This is our responsibility on our part. Submitting yourself to God is not an a la carte submission where you can say, Lord, you can have 10% of my money, but the rest of it is mine. Lord, you can have my spiritual life, but the rest of it is mine. I decide who I date, but you can have this area. But no, it's all inclusive. You got to know that. When you come to seven faith in Christ, everything about you belongs to him. You got to know that. It's not all a carte. It's not like going down the buffet line. He wants it all. Everything about you. He wants you to submit to him. Your career, your dreams, your fears, your failures, your successes, your plans, your marriage, your kids, and their future and well-being. He wants it all. And the submission here is that you freely are doing it. You voluntarily are aligning yourself under God's authority. You become subject to him, to obey him. This means, believers, we march to the beat of the one true drummer. When you're marching through your life, it's God's beat that we march to. No one else. Not Dr. Fields, not Fox News, nor CNN. God's word. As parents, we want our kids to submit to our authority because we're their parents. 
And parents do not submit to the kid. If you do, then there's something wrong with that relationship. Children do not set the rules, the agenda, their requirements, their expectations. The parents do. And when a child does not submit to their parents' authority, that kid does not respect their parent at all. And the same is true for believers. When we don't submit to what God wants us to do, we don't respect him as our father. You see, when, when a sinner comes to saving faith, that person receives and depends upon Christ as a savior. But something else happens too. After a person comes to saving faith, you are also placed under Christ's lordship. Lordship. Savior and Lord. When we share the gospel, we, we do a good job of Christ as Savior. But you also need to say, once you come to saving faith, that means you are now under his authority. And that means something. His lordship means something in our life. And in this letter, James is really showing us what it means to be under the lordship of Christ. As your Lord. As your Savior, he lovingly says, there is nothing required of you to get the free gift of salvation. That's what he tells you as your Savior. He purchased it for you through his death and resurrection, and now he gives it to you for free. Now, as your Lord, he lovingly says, there is something I require of you, that you submit to me everything you got, because it's already mine. And this... And this submission and surrender in your whole life under his lordship. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a lie to think and believe that Jesus does not make demands on our life after we become Christians. That's not biblical. He does make demands. He does have expectations for how we approach him, for how we live under his lordship. It ain't easy. That's why you have the spirit. Because he's the one that's equipping you and empowering you to do that. The spirit does it. Not only in our ability to submit to God, but to draw near to him. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submitting yourself to God has to do with his lordship and authority over your life as your father. Just like your parent has authority over your life. Drawing near to God has to do with his care and comfort for you as your father. A father will do both. A good father will. They're going to exercise authority over you, and they're going to also care for you. The picture of drawing near to God and him drawing near to you is not one of you both running toward each other in slow motion like they do in the movies. No, I'm drawing near to God. He's drawing near to me. The grass is high. We're going slow, and we're going to embrace. The picture you need to have is this. What is the natural instinct of a kid when they get around people they don't know? They run and draw near to their parent. Why? They hide behind the parent's leg, or they cling to the parent's leg. Why? Mommy and daddy's going to protect me because I don't know that person. The picture you should have of drawing near to God is that. You're drawing near to him for comfort, for protection, to cover you. You know why? Because you expect him to. Your kids draw near to you when they're scared because they're expecting you to do for them for what they can't do for themselves. 
protect them. Cover me. Hide me. Watch for me. Provide for me. That's what God does to his people. He's not only expecting us to submit to him, he's also expecting us to rely on him to take care of us. Do you draw near to him in whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're going through? The promise is that he will come. But do you believe it? Do I believe it? He will come. This does not mean he's going to shelter you from life. I wish it means that. Trust me, I do. I wish it means that there's certain things I'm not going to have to go through. <laughs> certain things that my baby's not going to have to go through. I wish and sometimes pray that it means that. Because I know as a believer, life will still sometimes be chaos. I know as a believer that I love God, he loves me, he's my savior, he's my Lord, but I still know there are going to be some things that are going to be uncertain. Life is still going to sometimes be disappointing. There are going to be some things that I'm going to have to live with. Everything's not going to turn out the way I want it to turn out. But does that mean God is not good? Does it mean he's no longer faithful? He still is. And I have to adapt to the changes in the world by humbling myself to God, submitting to him, drawing near to him, because that's what gets me through this changing world. There's nothing we can do to change the fact that we live in a fallen world. There ain't enough money you can have. There ain't enough education you can have. There's not enough stuff you can have to protect you for what life can do to you and for what you can go through. But what you do have is a God. There's a God who is with you. For believers, Jesus has given us a new acronym for life. For us, L-I-F-E means looking into the Father's eyes at all times. That's life for the believer. And are you looking into his eyes at this moment? Whatever you're going through, in your marriages, are you looking into his eyes? In your parenting, are you looking into his eyes? In your failures, in your successes, in your fears, in your frustrations, in your brokenness, are you looking into his eyes? Or are you looking into someone else's eyes? Because only through the Father's eyes do you know that he's with me in the chaos. He's with me in the brokenness. He's with me in the bad times, the good times. He is not going to abandon me. Do you believe it? Not right now, but out there. On Monday morning, would you believe it? If you truly believe this, then you can say, yes, I'm afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I'm perplexed, but not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but not abandoned or forsaken. I'm struck down, 
but I'm not destroyed. I will not lose heart. Though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for me a eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. As I look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Look into the Father's eyes at all times. Let us pray. Father, this has been a very hard hard week but it also has been an awesome week because I've seen you move mountains I've seen you move in ways that I haven't seen you move in a long long time and I thank you for that that at the end of myself I know that there's a God who can do what I can't do And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for every small thing that you've done. I thank you, Father, that you move in spite of us. I thank you, Father, that you are always on the clock. You're never off the clock. You're never taking a break. You're never napping. You are always, always at work on behalf of your people. And I pray that we will see that, that you give us the spiritual eyes to see And I pray as we leave here today, Lord, that your spirit will go with and before us and give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us confidence, give us boldness, give us strength, all from you, that we can live and fight just one more week. And I pray for this in your son's magnificent name.